Welcome to the Proclaim Columbus podcast. We are on a mission to equip people throughout the diocese to be missionary disciples. Hello, and welcome to the Proclaim Columbus podcast. I'm Liz, your host today, and with me are some of my co-hosts. We have Brooke. Hello. And we have Andrew. Hi. And we have two special guests today. We have Father Tim Donovan, President and founder of Pathways Faith and Family Life Catholic Ministries. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And also um, joining us from St. Brendan Parish, we have Jacob Doran. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you. Hi. So, um, yeah, so we're excited to have everyone here today and um, to kind of talk about um, the Pathways and all the things going on with that and just kind of break that open a little bit. But before we do, can you start us with a prayer, Father Tim? I'd love to, and thanks for having me. It's always good to be here in Columbus. You actually have like the most restaurants, I think, per capita in the whole world. So that's nice. like, I think I love too being here. So thank you. <laughs> we like to eat in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, My favorite thing. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, who continues to proclaim over each and every one of us the truth of who we are in him. That's why that you would bless all the ministry done in this great diocese. May it always keep you at the center. And may our eyes and our hearts uh, always know your voice and always to be able to see your will and to do it. So we ask that you continue to guide us and bless us, create path forward, Lord, for each and every family in this diocese to come to know you, love you, and serve you with their whole lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 The Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so Father Tim, um, tell us a little bit about you and Pathways, and where did this come from? Like, how was this born? Thank you. So I was a high school youth minister uh, during what I'm calling the youth ministry era, when that youth ministry was very kind of being done well a lot of places, and the kids were responding well to that, and um, we had like 300 kids in our confirmation program in high school, and then we had about 150 of them stick afterwards and become leaders, and it was just its own city and its own way there. And uh, what we started to realize was that uh, no matter how involved they were during that time in high school, uh, about a year into college, many of them would come back to us as full-blown atheists or at best agnostics and kind of uh, losing that very quickly afterwards. And so um, I was youth minister for three years, and then I entered the seminary, continued to do youth ministry in there, and kind of just started to see that over and over again, that you know, while I had our hands on them and we had that opportunity to really form them and they were in a community with us and it was intentional and all those kind of things that that they were being sustained in their faith. But as soon as that experience of church ended, then for many of them, they're also their experience of faith ended as well. But the ones that we saw continued to be faithful kind of had one common denominator, which is really that their their parents and their families had a practice of faith, you know, outside of their experience in the church group and that for our team became really a place that we said you know what if this is a place that we have to invest if we want faith to you know produce fruit that remains is kind of the uh, scripture that always you know is brought back to me Uh, and fruit that remains is also a funny image right fruit usually doesn't remain that long you know if you have it on your counter and it's usually rots pretty quickly you know and especially during that 
Jesus's time was also a kind of a, <laughs> even more so, right? There was no preservatives and those type of things or wax on their apples. You know, so it was, um, and to, that was such an interesting image that he gave them that he wanted to be fruit that, that remained. So really... Um, during that time, uh, we started to look and experiment with different models and started to ask ourselves, like, are we just focusing on the kids and hoping the kids are going to somehow, you know, rub off onto their parents? Or should we be focusing more on forming parents into habits of faith that then will be passed on in a natural way to their children? And so part of uh, after I became a priest and seeing that same model, I kind of vowed to never do ministry the same ever again uh, because I didn't want to keep producing fruit that withered and died, but I wanted to keep producing fruit that remained. So that's kind of yeah. a little Genesis, Genesis, Genesis story of uh, how we got to where we were. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then you had the, the pandemic kind of helping you out with needing to make some changes in the midst of that. Is that right? That's right. You know, God does not waste anything I say. <laughs> and uh, so we released our first resource and we thought this was going to be something that was like a long-term plan, like a 10-year thing. Uh, we had kind of pathways and in, in such in our minds, didn't know exactly the form it was going to take, but we developed Nourish and released that at the LA Congress in 2020, uh, February of 2020. And then within just a few weeks, um, obviously the world shut down and uh, this crazy thing happened. I was given a basically an unlimited amount of free time. And so it was, I could have just watched Netflix and, you know, drink whiskey or something. Um, but the Lord was like, <laughs> you're using this time to write resources. And I would say, it's okay. And so we actually went from one resource to over 10 within a year um, and a half. It was a pretty wild ride, but uh the Lord did gift that time. And then also at the same time, many parishes during that time needed a different type of resource. Um, but we always tell people too that we weren't kind of pandemic born. We were pandemic developed, um, that this vision is not something that was just a kind of a response to the pandemic, but really one that is at the heart, I think, of what our, our call is um, as formators and as ministers in the church. And so we continued to develop kind of at probably too fast of a rate, um, but we also have a bunch of at church and at home components now that we've developed and yeah, I don't know going into other directions like formation of leaders and all sorts of things. Yeah, no, I love that. I think I like how you said it wasn't like a reaction to the pandemic, right? It was the Holy spirit was already at work in your heart and your mind knowing something needs to change. And then you were given the time to actually press pause on a lot of other things so you could focus on what he wanted you to do which I think is amazing. And we saw that from several amazing resources that kind of came out of that time. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. Right. I mean, that literally was born of him having free time during a pandemic. You know, I look at things at my own parish that we did that we would have never had time to do. And we drew people together in different ways simply because we had time. So um, I think I think God gave us that gift of time. And I love kind of discovering who used that time wisely and who, you know, like God gives us a gift like that and what are you going to do with it? So it's very exciting um, to kind of hear about that and to hear a little more about your resources. So, um, so kind of walk us through, it's called Pathways for a reason, right? So like why that title and what does that look like? So we um, knew that the current structure and the way that it was um, built was not really kind of serving the families that we saw in front of us and, so we kind of launched into this big 
time of praying and studying and starting to read some of the new directory for catechesis that came out of Rome. And um, but before that, we the initial name for this actually was going to be just one night. Um, probably maybe a detail we don't and maybe share very frequently. But kind of the heart behind that was that we wanted parents and families, uh, just kind of like the Mormon Church, to have a family home night to be able to say, you know what, like this is the night that we spend taking care of one another, that we take praying, that we take just time to have conversations, have dinner with one another, and kind of really setting aside that time. And we, and kind of in our hearts, we're like, if we can just get them to do one night, just one night, that we would want, um, that we could change so many things. The families just spent one night together. And um, as we continued to develop it, um, it became clear that uh, what we needed was a process of formation that kind of followed a a path of sorts, and, um, and then and one day I remember standing behind the couch in my previous rectory and talking with Pam, our creative director, on the phone, who was also actually my high school youth minister, and uh, I said, I think the name of this needs to be Pathways, and she was like, yeah, that should be the name, and so we decided that day that it was going to be Pathways and started to go down that direction, and then really... Um, in the midst of that, about six months later, the new directory for catechesis came out, and it actually uses the word pathways 18 different times in it, mm-hmm. and uh, ends up really kind of directing what we were doing, what kind of was our initial, I guess this is, I mean, the only way to explain this is that this is the Holy Spirit slash its formation in the church, it's all those things kind of come together, but then it became very clear that what we were trying to do was basically make a catechumenate for families, and so it became super clear that we needed like a charismatic experience and a credal piece and immediate preparation for a sacrament since the ongoing components. And so pathways is a lot. It's a lot of different kinds of pieces for different kinds of formation. But what we've recognized is that um, all of those serve a very specific purpose when we're journeying with a family who might be heavily disengaged from the faith um, and not have the kind of background, which we kind of assumed was there before and so allow them to start on a journey uh, that brings them into the fullness of our faith. In the Archdiocese of Omaha, their archbishop there says that he wants a clear path of discipleship for every single family who comes to your parish. And that kind of was really a beautiful just confirmation of kind of what we were doing and our work with them there, but also here kind of this desire to do something different, but also that's deeply entrenched in our tradition. This is not some wild, crazy idea Father Tim came up with, but this is this is an adaptation and appropriation of this catechumenal process, which is very ancient. Um, and we, as we know, the apostolic times are back upon us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things about your materials is just the way that they look and feel. Like you didn't just, I think sometimes you can get good content, but if it's not like filling you aesthetically sometimes, it's just like most people aren't even going to look at it because it's not doing it for them, you know? But these, the materials and the boxes and everything are gorgeous. And then all the materials you provide and everything has a purpose and I love it. I'm gushing, sorry. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's definitely an engaging, (laughs) very engaging product. And I want to back up just a little bit because I think the one thing that kind of sets Pathways apart from a lot of other models out there for family-based catechesis, and there are others out there, but that charismatic component, and then the follow-up with the creedal component. Can you speak to that a little bit? 
Absolutely. So the new directory for catechesis, I think, kind of introduced this word kerygma to the catechetical scene. It has been around, but it just wasn't used much, I think, by catechetical leaders. And I think that's because we assumed that the people that we were ministering to somehow had a relationship with Jesus. And I think the church has woken up and recognized, like, probably the vast majority don't or, or their relationship with Jesus may may not be vital in their life at that time. And so really the need to revisit this um, basic proclamation of the gospel, just to get back into the actual biblical word that God has revealed himself to remind people that, you know, they're part of God's plan for salvation and that he, he wants to spend forever with them. Just these very basic foundational realities of our faith. And I love um, the new director for catechesis says that the kerygma is not something that we do as part of a process and then we get beyond the kerygma. It says that the kerygma, in fact, is the central reality of our faith and the proclamation of our faith. And it's something that we develop throughout the rest of the catechetical experience and so it's not something i did the kerygma and we got past past that thank god the kerygma is done you know no because that central piece is what's further developed and reflected on a mystagogical sense throughout the rest of the formational process and so for us we thought it was so essential to begin there to begin like jesus began to form like jesus formed to to, to show people how he heals and to show them how he gives us, you know, this reality of his spirit in the church to keep us in a relationship with him. So that's the basic proclamation. It's very simple. But also the church says that it should be more, like, philosophical, more big-picture questions than necessary, like, catechetical, like getting them to know things, but to, to basically get to know someone, to be brought into an encounter not just with Christ, but with his body, which is the church, and so very heavily uh, communal-oriented peace, you know, happening all at church. And the second step in what we call our progressive formation, which includes this charismatic experience we call seek, and then root, our creedal catechesis, um, really is then we need to develop that. So if you look at a relationship, it's first an encounter, like I'm my desire is to get to know you. And so now we can spend time developing that desire through this creedal catechesis. And I think that this is an essential piece if it's done well and invitationally and and based off of first this desire. This Because if no one n- loves Jesus, then getting to know about him seems like dreadful, you know? But if they love him, then they're going to want to know more about him. And so that's why it's in that next step is that creedal catechesis piece. And it actually covers the entire first part of the catechism because uh, that is the nuts and bolts of our faith. Like, that's the meat and potatoes. Uh, many times, I've, it's crazy, I sometimes argue with catechists about what the meat and potatoes are of the faith. Um, and it's Jesus and the Trinity, right? And how he's revealed himself. I think I, I think that's right. Is that right? Okay, I hope so. But um, that's the part that we, and I think as Catholics, we've assumed that these two pieces, this this charismatic experience, this first proclamation of the gospel, and this creedal piece are kind of assumed in people's life. Like, they're coming to us with those things, but if we get honest and sit down and just ask them what's going on, we find out very quickly that they don't have either of those in a real solid way. So it's bringing them onto that experience to re-encounter Christ. That's the new evangelization. Is like, a, you know, we're not starting from ground zero. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it's, you know, and let, you know, regular evangelization is like trying to, you know, woo somebody for the first time, right? He says the new evangelization is trying to win back a divorcee. Mm. <laughs> like that's a yeah. different, you know, so now it's even more difficult in a sense to win back the the trust 
win back the love of people for Christ. And so that's really the role of this charismatic revisiting in a fresh eyes the the biblical narrative of salvation history, especially in you know this overarching sense that yeah, God sent His Son to save us, to bring us back to Him, and wants us to live with Him forever. Yeah, and that's so foundational because then from there, then you build on sacrament formation, right? Um, and and something really critical happens even before they start that seek and root process, that charismatic and creedal process. Something really critical happens first. So I think you call it the visit. Yeah, we recently changed the name of it to a visit. It used to be called the interview, um, and we found that the interview, uh, we thought it was okay, but we found that the parents were um, very apprehensive about it. They're like, you know, um, they probably related it to all the interviews they've had in their jobs and maybe maybe some of the rejection they've experienced there. Um, and so we're like, you know what? That Jesus never interviewed people. He visited them. And so, you know, he visited Zacchaeus, his house, right? He's like, I'm coming over for dinner tonight and that type of stuff. Like, that's the type of beginnings we want to how Jesus began that. So we call it the visit. And this is kind of what we call the pre-catechumenate or some call the pre-evangelization. This is the moment of just having a human interaction, a human visit, just to sit down and get to know each other for just 30 minutes. And it can change everything because what it does is it gives the other person the opportunity to enter a relationship with somebody who's in a relationship with Jesus and to invite them to consider their own story uh, and how the mystery of God is already at work there. Another piece of the, the uh, directory for catechesis I love, it's, it's that, you know, we think that we somehow have this secret Jesus that we're going to teach people about. But it says that we can't assume that. Like we assume that the Holy Spirit's already working in their life. Somehow the Spirit already brought them to your door. And to try to discover a little bit of that before we start to assume that, you know, us as little Gnostic teachers are gonna teach them something about, you know. Yeah. But to draw that out of them, to hear it from them, to ask the questions. And so our process is all built on really the the catechumenal process, which I think is like exactly aligned with uh, this road to Emmaus and Jesus's pastoral plan for his church post-resurrection. So, and he starts the same way. He starts meeting them along the road. They were walking away from Jerusalem, sad and disappointed in how many families are doing that today. Mm -hmm. They might still be darkening our door, but they're not particularly excited to be part of the Catholic Church for very many reasons. And if we can just walk along with them, and, and Jesus, you know, could have like yelled at those disciples and was like, how dare you walk away from Jerusalem? How dare you run away? You know, what's wrong with you? But he didn't. He just simply said, you know, tell me about that. Like, share with me your experience of how did, how did you experience that? And he stopped and he just listened to them for a little bit. And so that's the key, is just stopping to throw away our assumptions that we think we know about these people until we stop and just say, like, tell me about your life. I want to know about it and I care about you. Yeah. So the visit includes the parents. Um, does the child also join the visit or is it just parents? We give the directors the option to decide how they want to do that. Sometimes it's a great read when the children are in the room um, and because, you know, the parents will say something and then the kids will look at them like it's not true um, <laughs> and, or those type of things. So sometimes you have to just kind of, you know, we let the, the, the directors sure. decide yeah. uh, if you want to. The whole purpose of this isn't to drill into serious stuff with families, right? It's just to establish a relationship of trust. And so when parents and, and when kids can actually see their parents establishing a relationship with trust with the director or the priest, whoever's doing this visit, um, then there's also that sensibility. Um, kids trust people that their parents trust. 
that's just how kids work, right? If your parents has weird vibes around somebody, the kids are going to kind of hide and not have that comfortability there. But if the parent is forming a relationship with trust, it's very likely that the child then will mm-hmm. participate in that as well. And so that's there's there's benefits to both. You know, you may not get as deep, but you're going to catch enough of the the pieces. And we say that this is uh, we used to call it an interview, not an inquisition, but you can call it a visit, not an inquisition. Same idea. Uh, the idea is not that we have to go there and just be like, when is the last time you went to church and all these things? And do you know all your prayers and all these kind of things that we think that are essential um, in the beginning, which Christ didn't get to until pretty much a little further down the process of formation. Um, but it's more so questions like, how can we pray for you? Tell me about somebody who was, you know, contributed to your life of faith. You know, what does it look like in your home currently? You know, how can we could support you? And when you start just asking those questions, nobody, I promised you, has asked them those questions from the church. Yeah, because now they feel seen and known and loved. And then they're ready for a next step, right? I mean, that is just so critical. Um, Before we wrap up this segment, there's one thing that I've heard you say a couple times, which I love, and it's about the sheep and the lambs. Can you give us that kind of analogy and how that fits um, with the pathway model? Absolutely. This is um, a spiritual insight that I think is, I don't know if it's like freshly mine or something, but I've never heard it anywhere else. Um, So I don't know if the Lord was just like, I saved this one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lord. Uh, But I could be totally wrong there. But anyways, I feel like that sometimes. But I was reflecting on uh, this post-resurrection accounts with Jesus and the disciples, because I think in there is like the pastoral plan of the church, if we're asking the Lord for his pastoral plan. And when he goes and in the gospel of John and he redeems, you know, Peter, this post-resurrectional redemption moment that takes him aside off the shore. And, and he says to him, says, Peter, you know, do you love me three times? And of course, Peter's like, you know, I love you. And uh, the three things that he says in return to him, you know, if I was Jesus, I would have said, then like, don't ever abandon me again. Like, how dare you if you really loved me, you know, but that's not Jesus. Thank God. He's not like me. You know, <laughs> he said three things. He said, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And for me, when I read that, I was like, whoa, like two-thirds of the focus of the Petrine ministry, the ministry of the church, needs to be on the sheep, the adults, the parents. And one-third of our time needs to be spent with the, the lambs. And the crazy part about that is that, I don't know about you, but I think that like at least for the first part of our life, like, the lambs are fed by the sheep. And if we feed the sheep, then they're going to feed the lambs. And notice how he doesn't say to tend the lambs. He says to tend the sheep and to feed the sheep who will then feed the lambs. And so that for us becomes a really transformational moment. You know, the question for us was how much time are we spending just with the children or the teens? And how much time are we actually spending forming the parents who are ultimately day in and day out by their actions, by their words, by the things they do and don't do, forming their children each and every day. Yeah. Like the first time I heard you say that, it was both sobering and inspiring all at the same time. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Jesus laid out a plan. It's so obvious. So we're going to pick up more about the plan of Pathways in our next uh, little chat here. But thank you for being with us, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proclaim Columbus podcast. And until next time, go and proclaim God's glory.